Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley, as always. Plenty to discuss uh, from our last podcast. We've had a national title game, a couple assistant coaches formerly hired, a change in play callers, a, another assistant coach informally hired, a couple decommitments, an All-American returning, a couple decommitments. Uh, did I already say a couple decommitments? <laughs> That's just on the brain right now. Um, I don't know where you guys want to start first. We probably could start with the coaching staff, and I thought uh, of all the news that came out last week, the fact that Brian Kelly will, in fact, not call plays in 2017 was the most interesting. I think we should have our podcast on Tuesday, because apparently everything happens yes. Monday yeah. 11. Yeah, if we had on yeah. Tuesday, then the news would break on <laughs> Wednesday. No, I, I agree with you, Pete. I think that we were all caught by surprise uh, with that. I think it's a really good thing. Um, you know, the more you watch Chip Long's offense, the more diversity you see in it. I love the fact that it's a multi-tight end, um, you know, sets most of the time. Yes, you can run spread offense, even with tight ends in the game. He'll run double running backs. They do get under center when they're inside the five-yard line. I've seen evidence of that as well. So I think it's a real progressive move. It's surprising, certainly, because we all thought, you know, Brian Kelly's going to double down and, and, quote, save his job here in the last year. But... Uh, I think it's a progressive move, and I think it will benefit Notre Dame's offense. And I think we, we kind of made a joke about it. How do you bring in an offensive coordinator if you're going to say, come on in, you're going to share the duties, and I'm going to call the plays, and oh, yeah, it might be for one year. So, I mean, I, I'm sure maybe that was part of, I don't know if Long had the uh, strength to say, I need to call plays if I'm joining your staff, because obviously this is a great career move up for him. But I'm shocked because, as you said, I thought Brian Kelly would be the guy that wanted to be in control of his destiny, but maybe he is. Maybe this is the way he's doing it, and he knows that they need some new blood in there. Well, I'm curious, from what playbook is he calling these plays? Yeah. Does Brian Kelly say, hey, here's my playbook, you can add a couple pages if you want, or does he say, just go with it, let's install something totally new? I find that hard to believe, but I would hope, at a minimum, it would be a merging of two playbooks where... Chip Long can then go and looks like, okay, your terminology is a little bit different, but I would I would rewrite this play and put it in the playbook based on you know what your vocabulary is, and so we just have a new a new branch of the playbook or a new chapter of the playbook. Either way, it's a huge change from the press conference we had with Brian Kelly when he made Chuck Martin his offensive coordinator, and he said it's a good thing because he only knows one offense, mine. Yeah, this is yeah. this is a pretty big departure from yeah. that theory. It's the next step after turning the room upside down with Mike Sanford. Yeah. I would I would like to think that it will be a merger, as you say, uh, because you know I mean the whole the Chip Long hiring surprised us as well. Um, you know that wasn't a name that was on our radar at the time, and again I would like to think that Brian Kelly looked at his offense, studied his offense, and said, you know, we need to incorporate a lot of the things that he's doing here. In terms of other coaching moves, Clark Lee comes in as linebacker. That That's basically a move that we had reported from the very beginning. Yeah. Keith Gilmore out, same story there. Delvon Alexander's a little bit newer. Worked with Chip Long at Arizona State um, for four years. Also worked with Kerry Cooks at Wisconsin, so there's some familiarity, or at least he should have some background of like what Notre Dame's about if he reaches out to Cooks. Um it's, it's difficult to look at these hires and be like, these are great or these are not great because we just don't know enough about these guys. I think the Alexander hire is great because it lets Chip Long coach tight ends like he should Absolutely. be. Absolutely, yeah. And it would, made no sense for Chip Long to coach wide receivers and bring up Jeff Quinn to coach tight yeah. ends as we had thought might happen. This it's, 
And Alexander is a—I mean, he's a wide receiver yeah. coach by trade, yes. right? They just fit him in at tight ends at, at Arizona State for so, one year. Yeah, and um, you know, we 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 talked about Jeff Quinn being added to the staff. It, we still don't know exactly whether he will serve in some capacity at Notre Dame or he'll move on from this point. But I agree with that. I think it's a better fit uh, on all fronts, both new and old coaches. And we've still never heard anything on Greg Hudson, right? Other than he, uh, no. There's no room for him on staff, obviously, but he could be an analyst again or in no. some way. Yeah, I mean, there's just the 10th the assistant coach, which goes up for a vote in April. We still feel like that's going to be Tommy Reese if the, that passes because right now, like, Notre Dame is going to – begin spring practice without a quarterback's coach, which means Brian Kelly will be coaching the quarterbacks. Um, news just yesterday, Quentin Nelson, he'll be returning to school for his senior year. Um, I felt pretty strongly that that would happen, but I also feel he, I felt even more strongly that this was actually a point of discussion for Quentin Nelson and his family. Um, it wasn't just assumed that, oh, yeah, he's going to come back, no problem. Um, they actually thought this out. Had a second round grade, you know, consulted with people in the NFL, agents included, to say, you know, what do you think I should do? Made the decision to come back. It's, I mean, obviously it's a big deal for Notre Dame because he's arguably their best lineman, was voted as such last year. And your left side of the line is essentially two guys that should be competing for All-American status and first second round picks in 2018. You know, a lot of people say he needs to come back to get better. Um, I think that fits here. I mean, obviously, he's a big, strong, powerful kid that's got a great future ahead of him. But I think there were inconsistencies that we saw in his game last year, and he'll be much, much better equipped to to move on to the NFL. You know, you say that with a quarterback. Well, a quarterback can make millions and sit on a bench mm-hmm. and be bad and play and, and be bad in the NFL. It happens all the time. Offensive linemen, you better come prepared you know, to mix it up with the big boys, and I think uh, Quentin Nelson will be better off. I think that one of the big factors that people didn't spend enough time on with Nelson and potentially leaving is the lack of supply of offensive linemen in this draft class. I believe only six have declared early, which is really yeah. a absurd low. And if there's a lack of <laughs> supply, that means there's a higher demand, which probably means Quentin Nelson would have gone higher than his second-round grade, uh, maybe at the bottom of the first, maybe early second. You know, at that point, you're signing a three-, four-year, six-million-dollar deal. Um, so it's it's hard to look at that and be like, well, of course you should come back uh, to get better because you could be making a lot of money in the league next year, and there's no guarantee that there won't be a glut of offensive guards and offensive tackles next year. I mean... Next year, Mike McGlitchie will will be right. fighting with Quentin Nelson for for draft space, depending on teams where they need offensive linemen. Remember your Ronnie Stanley um, money scale, though, when he oh, was yeah. been twenty five and he became a top ten. Yeah, and that's that's that's, that's true for tackles. Yes, I don't see too many probably guards not, going yeah, probably up. Probably not that for high. a guard, but boy, he's he's going to be the number one rated guard next sure. year. Sure, you'd yeah. hope so. Yeah, you'd hope so. Um, I guess other news to cover. I don't know if you want to touch on the national title game. Uh, I think it just ended. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, Four was, hours and eight yeah. minutes. I mean, it was a great game. I didn't mind that it was long at all for how much people have complained about it. Um, certainly the offensive pass interference and the on-call at the end of the game, I think, got under some people's skin, uh, including Notre Dame football players, based on their Twitter reactions to it. Um, 
and again, the target, the yes, non-targeting yeah, penalties the, early in the, the game, the non-targeting penalties that certainly registered with Jack Swarbrick as he talked about in his podcast, uh, calling the whole thing a complete mess. So he hit him in the head with his head on purpose. I'm not sure what yeah. that was. Um, you know what? It was the national championship <laughs> game. Alabama came out smoking yeah, defensively. And it was just so physical and violent early on. That I think they just tucked that rule away for a little while. All I know, the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, oh man, it's we're robbed from having an 18 playoff because I really needed to see Alabama beat Wisconsin by 50 before I watched this game. Yeah. It was. Please I mean, it was, never go to it. Never. No. Well, it's interesting <laughs> reading some of the national coverage where the, you know, people are talking to conference commissioners. And aside from people around the Big 12, it sounds like there's. Zero momentum for an 18 playoff. There should be. They realize the 14 yeah. playoff is even better than they expected it to be because it has enhanced the regular season, which was the fear that it would depress the um, you know significance of it. You know the other bowl games, whether you're Christian McCaffrey or Leonard Fournette not playing, or USC Penn State. I get, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it makes a huge surprising difference. Like we're moving in that direction anyway. If there was no playoff, I don't think the Citrus Bowl would have more meaning. Um, and it just, to me, it just makes the regular season so much more interesting when you know one conference at a minimum is getting left out. And now you have the precedent set that two conference champions got left out. Um, because Penn State goes to the Rose Bowl as a Big Ten champion after beating Ohio State. I basically, I love everything about it. It is the greatest regular season, and there's not an option for number two in sports. It is so much better. Of a regular season and everything else, you don't need you don't need to expand it. It's great. It is absolutely the best theater you can have. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that they have the best playoff situation. They don't, but whatever. It's the amazing thing about the NCAA tournament in basketball is how much it's devalued the regular season. People yeah. just don't watch. Yeah, they you don't really... need to. They they think that the elite eight means it doesn't matter if you went thirty two and two. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's yes, that is the key. Yeah, to get you really, and you really don't start watching till January, and the games keep starting earlier and earlier in November. Uh, yeah, I mean the nature of football, there are fewer games, and so they're more important. Right. Um, and, and so that's a good thing. Oh, Pete, I wanted to talk to you about, and I guess it just kind of set me up, set me off when Paulson Adebo and Elijah Hicks decommitted within like twenty four hours of one another, and, <laughs> and hours of our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, right. And and then basically. Um, you know, took a majority of the athleticism away from this class in addition to the, the three previous losses. And, you know, I mean, I, I understand that there's upheaval in the coaching staff uh, and, and that contributes to it, certainly along with four and eight. But those are huge losses. And, you know, they're going to make up the numbers, I would I would imagine, because then a flood of offers go out and they'll find guys to fill the spots. But you're not going to replace that level of ability at cornerback. And I think that's a that's a significant loss to this recruiting class. Yeah, I think Adebo for sure. Uh, Hicks is a good athlete too. I mean, and that's look. There's been turnover on the coaching staff, but Todd Light's still here. You know, it's not like their position coach left. Um, so that would inform you that these guys were looking around because they yeah. just wanted to look around, yeah. not that Notre Dame necessarily gave them an excuse to do so. Aside from you know four and eight, which has been a big. Uh, a big recruiting negative for Notre Dame this year, obviously. So it hurts the class a lot. You're sitting at 15 commitments and you're three weeks away from National Signing Day. I mean, you're seeing offers go out multiples every day where they're often guys committed to Oregon, TCU, Missouri, Penn State. Um, they're, you know, some uncommitted <laughs> under the radar type guys. Um, you know, they have a Boston College commitment as well, a Tennessee commitment. Um, 
They're turning over every rock possible. I think that they'll be fine at defensive back as long as they can get one or two guys just to keep some roster balance. Because, yeah. I mean, it's rare that you can look at a freshman class uh, as big as they signed one at defensive back last year and feel like, okay, Studsill, Elliott, Pride, Vaughn, and Love are all hits Yeah. after one year. Yeah. So to have five hits in a class at one position is, is really rare. So... From that point of view, I think that just getting a couple, even if they're developmental guys, will be fine yeah. because you're not losing anybody for a while. And you know, it's not Walk, to get Walkins way two yeah, years. yeah, not to get way ahead of ourselves, but like among the guys that they have, I'm not sure I see anybody that's like, well, that guy has a chance to go pro after three years. Um, I think you've got a bunch of four year players who are going to be really good college players. That's fine. Receiver is to me is a concern uh, because the guys that they got last year, we we don't know if they're hits other than Stefferson. Um, we don't really know anything about Javon McKinley other than he's probably going to miss the majority of spring practice. And Chase Claypool is athletic as he is. We know he can cover kicks. <laughs> no, wait a minute. We, we have a question. We have a question later. I have him listed as one of the top uh, NFL draft prospects sure. in that I mean, class. I mean, he's got plenty of athleticism and he's big and he can run fast, but in terms of productivity at his actual no, position no, no you're absolutely right we don't know no, we don't and, and you're right we don't know about javon mckinley who was the highest rated of that yeah. group uh, yeah, no. coming in so look they've had, they have a lot of work to do on the staff we'll get into who they might do that work with in the second segment but um it's um recruiting is it's in a tough spot right now they did get all five early enrollees on campus classes start tomorrow so that's one third of your <laughs> class uh is over and done with uh, tomorrow morning, um, you know, so it's recruiting to get close to a top ten class is going to be a real challenge. I think there's a much more likelihood they're going to finish closer to twenty yeah. than tenth. It's going to be fast and furious here down the stretch. I think since last week, Isaac Rochelle has been named to the Senior Bowl, and James Onawale already committed to the East West Shrine Game. It's going to be a small year. It's not going to be a great year uh, draft wise in I'll the, take the NFL. Draft this year. Yeah, you got yeah, it this yeah, year. This good. Year. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean it's good, and 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 that's a reflection of partly you know not an overly talented senior class, but also the number of players that are returning you know across the board on this roster. Yeah, the senior class was talented, but they lost their best players as juniors. Right, and, right, right. Yeah, and I mean it's just guys like Torrey Hunter Jr. didn't quite develop to where the point. Well, he had, he had other options too. Some it's a senior class that had. Three guys with other options, and Corey Robinson, Steve Elmer, and Torrey Hunter, and two guys that were too good, and Fuller and Smith. So it wasn't a bad recruiting class. It just slowly <laughs> broke down it and resulted in 4-8 and eight at the end because, I mean, the sophomores and juniors the previous two years was the were the best class. Yeah. And then it just hurts when, when they're seniors, they're much smaller. Before we get into segment two, uh, hoops. So I think when we were recording last week, we are like, ah, maybe the <laughs> split could go on two. I don't know. Um you're and hoping if, for what with, yeah. with Florida State on Wednesday. You were hoping for one, one and two, yeah. and of course they beat Virginia Tech over the weekend in a really somewhat ridiculous game, um, and then get another win at Miami, which was less ridiculous but kind of similar. Um, they got a little bit of a pattern going. <laughs> they play great early, and then sort of crater and absorb a run, maybe go down, uh, and then just flip it on at the end and, and run away with it, which has been pretty amazing to watch. We're going to talk about this with a question, so I don't want to get too far into Notre Dame losing the leads because I just think it's it, it's it's not Notre Dame that loses leads. It, 
the margin yeah, I do is think, very small in college basketball. Right, I do think most teams do that, but especially on the road. The thing is, the 3-0 on the road, it's, it's part of it, but it's so much better than 5-0 to start. I mean, if they had won four home games or one road game right yeah. now, and it, it's they can split six road games, and you know they're not going worse than 7-2 and two overall at home. At home, yeah. That is, I mean, they're looking at a 13-win ACC That's season, and really... Crazy. Only North Carolina or Florida State could think that they can get to 13 or 14 Well, it was wins just right like now. 10 days ago that Rick Pitino said, I think 10 and 8 is going to win the <laughs> yeah. conference. And you thought about it, it's like, well, you know, maybe. But, you know, North Carolina is going to. Yes. North Carolina's bored this time yeah, of year. Yeah, they yeah. always are. They still have a tremendous amount of talent. Um, and, and they'll be fine. They're going to win a lot of, a lot of games. But uh, it's not going to be 10 and 8. Uh, no. Certainly. No. And you're right. Notre Dame has a great chance at, I mean... <laughs> It's hard. It's it's even it's difficult to say thirteen and five as they're sitting here five and zero. If you if you could get to seven and one, which is realistic, it's hard because it's Syracuse and Virginia at yeah. home and a road game at Florida right. State. But if you're at seven and one, difficult to do. I mean, you're start you're not thinking double buy anymore. You're thinking win the ACC. Yeah, because you have Boston College twice, Georgia Tech twice, North Carolina State. You better win three of those. Some throws five and. I mean, there aren't that many they can't get. The hardest get is at North Carolina, obviously. And North Carolina now has full focus on Notre yeah. Dame. It's after losing to them three or four in a row. They, they've decided they, they know how they want to play. Matt Farrell is, is the best point guard I've ever seen in Notre Dame. Top to bottom, make everybody better. Offense, distribute the basketball. He doesn't just find the open man. He finds the most open yeah, man. Yeah, he's, he's a great creator. He makes a great this. defensive play at the end of the game. Uh, name a name a Notre Dame point guard that has been. Mine's bet. Jaron Grant is mine. See, I, I okay, I, I know he play. I don't, yeah. I don't put him with the point guards, right. and I know right. he played yeah, point. Since his fifth year, Jaron Grant is mine. Okay, yeah. I don't, I, I, I can't deny right, that he's right, six right. foot six and yeah. spectacular. I can't deny that, but I mean, I know what you mean he's true, a true, true, true point, point guard. guard. Right? He's, he's saying Rivers and Quinn and Thomas. And Rivers, Hansburg Rivers and is guys. a great player, but I mean, he he played on some bad teams, and he certainly did not make the other players around him. Great. Now the the players that Farrell has around him are way better than the ones that that Rivers had throughout his four year career. But as far as influencing the game and finding open people and breaking down defenses, he's he's absolutely spectacular. He's had a good season <laughs> to January sixteenth. So he's going to collapse now. He's no, he won't stop collapse. Playing, though I don't think he's going to stop playing the quality yeah. basketball that he's played now for fifteen straight games. I just like to see it in March. Yeah. Right. I don't think well, he'll collapse. Though. I do think a concern is he's a little guy and he's, yeah, you know, I mean, he's throwing his body yeah. around and, yeah. and that could be a problem. But it, provided he stays healthy, his he's game really fun to watch. His game is his he is, game. He is as fun to watch as any. Point and he's a much had. better shooter than I think any of us anticipated, other than his father who coached him in AAU, who always said, "If he plays, you'll see it." And we're seeing it now. Yeah, I mean, he's a very, very fun point guard to watch. I mean, he's, he has a very entertaining style to his game. Yeah, and it's 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 creative without being... It, it's it's rare that the turnover's like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, ah, oh, no, he's he pushes trying that. He pushes the he line. But he creates so many shots off of it. Usually early like, in the game. Yeah. yeah. That's when they create their... Tur- that's when they... Their turnovers come early in the game, and then they settle in. Yeah, because really the last... Um, the Clemson game, he was and then, less, Clemson and then I think Virginia Tech Bray got on him. Well, Clemson in particular, we yeah. said yeah. ripped him because he, yeah. he was poor. He said a, the day, a day or two later when we talked to Farrell, he said, 
you know, I was worn down. Mm-hmm. And he had been sick. He had the flu. He played the St. Peter's game. This never, I don't think it was ever even written by anybody, but he had the flu and he played. So he was dragging a little bit. And I mm-hmm. do think that that, you're right, Pete. I mean, I do think my concern is not his ability. Look, he's done against Louisville. He's going to now, he's going to have a real challenge against Florida State and their length. And length is always going to be an issue with him. But I think. Teams, are, teams he, are guarding him with big, small forwards now. Too, yeah, that's that, away, right. Uh, it, right. It makes sense because yeah. he could get a but shot then you see, yeah, You want to see what their counter is yeah. to him. But then you see, then Fluger steps up and TJ Gibbs is stepping up. And Gibbs was actually inserted for a really struggling VJ Beecham. Down the stretch, Beecham came back in and made a big play. It's a clutch drive for a guy having and not not having a good game. No, no yeah. doubt about it. But he definitely has lost his confidence to try to break down a defense with penetration. He's the only player on the on the nine. I include Matt Ryan in this. That is negative in the plus minus for court time is BJ Beecham, and he's negative ten in ACC play. Right. In fact, everybody That's... else is positive. Even Ryan's plus two. So he... now maybe Gibbs does get some of that playing time. They're a little bit smaller, but Beecham doesn't. He's got he has length which kind of helps you with passing lanes and stuff like that, but he doesn't rebound. He doesn't try to rebound. Uh, Vastori is doing a better job of rebounding, I think, and helping out there. But, I think uh, we'll probably have to always defer to Bray on the spacing issue that Beecham brings. He says that by having Beecham on the floor, it just helps our offense yeah. because there's a guy standing 22, a defender standing 22 feet away from the basket with him, and it really allows fair. I want to talk to Bray. We're going to have an opportunity to talk to Bray and the, the team today. I want to talk to him about his use of the 2-3 zone because they, they haven't used it a lot, but when they have, it's been really, really effective. But he's kind of philosophically opposed to that because then you start giving up threes, and he's real big on exchanging threes yeah. for twos. So he has to be uh, very strategic in how he uses it and when he uses it. Uh, but when they have used the two three, it's been very effective. The last couple of years, it's gotten so much better. Do you remember the old two three zones they used to play in the McLarney days? And the, that that was the worst. That was just when an they... exercise of guys passing the ball around until they got an open layup yeah. on defense. I mean, that was Notre Dame's yeah. zone defense. It was the worst zone defense for a decent team in the country. Short, and now they short short arm, short arm guys. Yeah. That's not how you play. No, zone it's defense. not how you play zone. De- it was, but there were just holes everywhere. And now they really they do play it much better. You can't rely on it if you know their name, obviously, because as you said, three pointers you can't give them up, and right as a rebound, and but. and that was his thinking again. And they do give Miami penetrated against them, and Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech penetrated against them, and and that's an issue for them. But he even said after the game, "Well, you know, they were penetrating, but it's still just two, and and that's his philosophy, and it's worked pretty well." All right, well, that's it for segment one. We'll be back with a bunch of questions for our readers next on Irish Illustrated Insider. up the boards is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with Mr. McBrogue, who asks a basketball question. A bit like complaining about one cloud on an otherwise gorgeous day, but for all of their success, this team has an unsettling knack for blowing leads, especially big ones. Why can't they just put anyone away? I mean, I think it's the modern era of basketball. There's not many great teams. You go back, there's been three great college basketball teams in 10 years. You're going to see plenty of this. Notre Dame has made it to back-to-back Elite Eights, and in the first game they won in that span, Northeastern had the ball down two with 20 seconds left to tie or win in the first round. The next game, Pat Connaughton flew out of nowhere to block Butler's game-winning jump shot. I mean, 
It was, o- it was an overtime game. Yeah, and you're Demetrius. You mentioned Demetrius Jackson, the best play of last year. Stephen F. Austin game was close, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and he's on the Windy City Bulls. Yeah. Thomas Walkup, not the Chicago Bulls. Right Michigan now, game so. was quite back and forth. They're down. Oh, at absolutely. One point. Yeah. They were down yeah. yeah, they were down at halftime. You gotta, you gotta get used to it. It's gonna happen all the time unless you're Anthony Davis's Kentucky team or Tyler Hansbrough's North Carolina team. They're just especially on the road. I mean, yeah. the, the the road situation. You know, Notre Dame going into Virginia Tech, they're, they're looking forward to a game like that. You know, I mean, any any home game. But they had won 15 in a row at home. We're apparently confused on how many in a row Miami won, 20 or 21. I think Miami's saying 21. Uh, and Florida done. State's won like 14 in a row, I think, is what I when I counted this morning. But, um, you know, I Mike Bray has a tendency to say, and he said it again after the game. We didn't think we were going to win this game by 15 or 18 points. Does that contribute to it? Is that part of his I just think his talk and demeanor with his team? I, I you know, I don't know if that necessarily contributes to it. I just did, just by watching that Virginia Tech game, their defense was the worst I've ever seen in the first half of Virginia Tech and then all of a sudden they were defending well. I just think it's these teams are really close. I think I mean, these teams are very close. There's no one great. There's no one great. North Carolina last year at the end, I I, I thought they were becoming a great team, the one that lost to Villanova yeah. in the championship game. I still think, I mean, they were one of the better teams the last 10 years that lost the title. I just don't think you're going to have many games where you go out and kill a team of any value. And look, if Notre Dame gets up 13 on Duke in a couple weeks, or if Duke gets up 13 on Notre Dame, the other team's coming right back. It's just the way it is now. Yeah, I, it's college basketball. Yeah. I, I think it's it is. A, it's and, a reality And issue. the key thing is, you know, the the... the Eventually, we're going to have to stop explaining what a kill means in Notre Dame basketball right. parlance. Kill is three straight stops with a, without a bucket, and they're getting their kills at the end of the Dude, game. Did you see the list? Yeah, yes. I mean it's it's ridiculous how well they're playing at the end of the yeah. end of the game, and ultimately that's the most important thing. You'd like to see them. Well, I even texted you at one point. It's like I don't want to hear about that. We didn't expect to win by fifteen or eighteen because they were up by nineteen. They were up nineteen. You could you could have not fallen behind in that game. Yeah, <laughs> I will right. I will give credit. They got to they got outscored by yeah. twenty points at, at some point. Right at some it. point after that, and so that's disconcerting, I guess. Our second question is from B. Bogust. Out of the recruits that we're still chasing and are realistically attainable, who would you consider, A, the best player, and B, the player Nordium could most use, and it could be different players for each? Yeah, I mean, the best player is more in the uh, Parks realm. Um, you know, the Jarrah's Parks from Sebastian, Florida. I mean, he's a top 50 player basically everywhere. He's a defensive end. He's 6'5", 255. Um, but that would be the least realistic yeah. of the guys, too. So I wouldn't really spend much time on him I'd say the guys that are most realistic two receivers that in some ways I I would be shocked if they didn't get one of them and I won't be surprised if they get both Matt Kippenhammer who they offered over the weekend Indiana kid Penn State commit was at Irish Invasion has been to Notre Dame a bunch um and Penn State immediately offered a new receiver after Notre Dame offered so that's somebody to watch. Jafar Armstrong is another guy uh, from Bishop Miege. Plays for the same program where Tim Grunhardt is coaching. Um, he's a Missouri commit, three-star. I expect that he'll end up visiting at the end of the month, too. These are both super fits for Notre Dame. Um, should be no-fuss guys when they're here, too. So I think the receiver position will end up with, with three guys, and they'll be fine with that. Defensive back is... A little bit more difficult. Trey Norwood is a three-star guy, um, but I, I like the momentum Notre Dame has there. He was a Louisville commit, 
Notre Dame offers, Notre Dame visits. The same day, he's no longer a Louisville commit, and he's visiting at the end of the month. Oklahoma also just offered him as well. Uh, so that's one to watch. Beyond that, um, you know, Gavin Holmes is a receiver from Texas. Evan Fields is a safety from Texas. Michael Smith is a receiver from Florida. There are some defensive linemen uh, involved, too. The kid from Hawaii, um, Amosa, that's a maybe on the visit. I, you know, the I don't know. The defensive end position is, is much harder for me to look at and feel like, oh, Notre Dame's definitely going to get a guy. Um, but there's an Arizona commit that I, I feel like is a, a good match for Notre Dame. It's also, you should be able to take a guy away from Arizona, uh, even though he's a, from Arizona himself. Brian Pullian's already visited him as well. So ultimately, I think that a couple receivers, a couple DBs, one defensive end, you end up at 20 guys in the class. I think they'll take it. Um, considering the new staff turnovers and, and the four and eight season, why would you, uh, if it's true, stop taking linebackers? Yeah, I mean, I think it is true. Um, it, yeah, say, exactly. I mean, it, it happened. Right. Um, Antoine Simmons coming into Michigan State, and Ellis Brooks uh, told our Steve Hare that Norham's not taking any more linebackers. I, I think that Mike Elko looks at the defense and says, "Okay, I got a five eleven linebacker here and a five eleven linebacker here. Do we really need an?" two more 5'11 linebackers, or even one more, when you've got Drew White uh, already committed, David Adams already committed, and you can maybe move Spencer Perry down or DJ Morgan down. Uh, and then you also have Matt Bauer and Obey Gufu committed for next year, who are both like 6'3 types. And you redshirted Jones last year. That's yeah, I just think you look at that rod, and it's like, is this the best place to use a scholarship? Now, the counter to that clearly is... Well, what does an open scholarship do for you? Right. But if you know your next, if you know Bauer and Agufu are better than Brooks and um, Simmons, and Simmons definitely don't take them because there is no point in taking a kid that is worse than a guy you're taking next year. Um, and I, any that's just prudent recruiting logic because you don't uh, if you can know you're going to out recruit a guy. Before you even sign the first guy, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, am I surprised? Yeah, uh, I'm surprised that they're not taking another linebacker. But I was told the the moment that Pete Werner decommitted, we're not going to take another guy just to take another guy, uh, and that was before Mike Elko was officially hired. Well, good because you weren't going to get another linebacker as good as Pete Werner. Yeah. So I mean, again, it's like if you they don't need to settle at linebacker. Is sort of I think the way they look at with how they've recruited over the last few years. All right, we're going to bounce back to basketball here again from Port Indy. Am I crazy, or does the Hoops team have a better chance at a title than the football team? You're not crazy. <laughs> certainly. If you were talking right now, or it just means the next five years or well, something. I'm pretty sure football <laughs> yeah, was no, not I going mean, to win a title last no, year. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, coming up, it's... I don't, well, I don't think Nordic basketball is going to win a title. I don't think they're going to win one either, but I mean, all you got to do is... Make a couple of plays and you could have been the final four. Right. It's... Yeah. No, no doubt about it. And we were talking about, we were laughing about, I referenced Syracuse being in the final four last year. And you're like, what? Syracuse in the final four? No, they were. I, not only did I forget, I, it, it didn't like pop back in my mind like, oh yeah, it was, they were in the final four last year. What are you talking about? They actually were. And I watched the game at my in laws house <laughs> in the basement, the whole thing. Rooting for them. And they were one of, they're, uh, you know, when I was doing the uh, Nordays 14 and 7 in the last 21 ACC road games and, so you go to you go to all the major schools, Virginia, yeah. North Carolina, Duke, and I also looked at Syracuse. Syracuse has lost thirteen of their last twenty ACC road games. 
and yet they got hot at the end of the last season and made it to the Final Four. That zone gets people trouble when they're not used yeah. to it, man. And, you know, <laughs> Pete, you were talking about last week, and you know, Nordin could get bounced in the first weekend if they get the wrong kind of matchup with a, with a big team. But We just said if today, you get to, right. Northeastern literally had the ball to tie or beat yeah. them. That was the beginning of this run. It never would have happened. Yeah, a much a, a much more talented Notre Dame team back then, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Yes. Um, yeah, it's but to win a national championship basketball requires a completely different skill set than winning one in football. In football, you have to be essentially hot for fourteen or fifteen games. Right, right. In basketball, it's six and it's condensed in three weeks. So, yeah, football. That, well, uh, Connecticut a few years ago. Oh, I can't believe they won. they've won. They've won twice in the last seven years, and I mean they won because Kemba Walker. Got lightning hot, and because their guards yeah. the next year, Boatwright and Dapier could guard everybody. So <laughs> the answer to the question is no. You're not crazy. No, you're yeah. not crazy. <laughs> Hoops. Hoops is the clear answer. B one G Bob. Now that we have three coordinators on the job, what are your thoughts on them recruiting in particular? Um, I'm well. It's upgrades. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm really happy with up- upgrades. I think first of all, Elko is a massive upgrade. I think. Pullian's a massive upgrade. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily put Chip Long in that category, comparing him to, you know, a Denbrock and, and Sanford. Denbrock had uh, or Sanford had the title. Right. Denbrock called the plays, but um, really excited. And you know, Pete, you can probably speak more towards the the uh, recruiting prowess of those guys compared to the others. Uh, Pullian, we know from history, is a quality recruiter. I, I think they will upgrade it at all three. By Sanford Long included, because um, I think Chip Long just loves recruiting, uh, and I think that's something that Notre Dame staff has sort of not had enough of guys who just like are dogs as recruiters. And I think Chip Long is going to be one of those. We guys. don't really know about Elko yet, but I, but Elko's been very active up to this point, and I don't think we ever said we never said Brian Van Gorder and very active. No. In the same sentence when we were talking about recruiting. No, it's, I mean, he was, Elko was in D.C. They're trying to get back in with Josh Pascal. There's another uh, Maryland commit out there that they're they're targeting at defensive end. So it's just that alone. I mean, I think within a week, you already know, you already knew what you assumed yeah. to be true, that Mike Elko would be a better recruiter than Brian Van Gordon. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not saying a lot, but I think he will just, he will be a good recruiter on his own merits, not just compared to the last guy. Now, on the field... It's going to be interesting. We have to quit comparing the rest of the summer Elko to Van Gorder coaching. It's got to be Elko to Elston Hudson. Okay. Obviously, everybody's right. better than Van Gorder was defensively yes. as, a, as a coach. Yeah. It's yeah. roll the ball and say, guys, go guard everybody, and you'll do better than that. But it's it, it's the comparison to the final eight games. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and their approach, El, Elston and Hudson, was, I mean, it was a, it was a basic right. keep the football in front of you approach, which was absolutely the right thing to do. And they got significantly better as the season progressed. They tackled way better yeah. as the season progressed. And I think we have to remember when we're people we're going to talk about points given up, they didn't give up 45 to USC. Adoree Jackson scored 14 on special teams. And <laughs> Adoree Jackson took 21 points <laughs> yes. from them. Yeah, so that's it's a little different. But, uh, next one from B1G Bob. Oh, sorry. Next one's from Helmet622. With the exception of McGlinchey and Nelson, who are our best pro prospects for the future? Uh, among... Among players with one year of eligibility remaining, I think Niles Morgan kind of stands out above the, the crowd. Class, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think um, they'll you know, take I, young guys. I think if you want to answer with the young, yeah, guys. no, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I, I have a list of those. I'm sure you do, Pete, as well. I mean, I think Greer Martini, because of his size and 
we say deceptive quickness, but um, coachable toughness, grit. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he has size. He has instincts. He's smart. I, I think that he has a chance. I don't know how high he will be drafted, but would you agree that Morgan is the number one guy? Am I forgetting somebody there um, amongst the, uh, the, the seniors? The seniors. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. Tranquil has more... two years of eligibility. I put him in a. Well, it's, I mean, you've got to include juniors in there, too. And we just we don't know what Alizé Jones is going to look like yeah. next year. Uh, but that's somebody you'd have to at least consider at the start of the season that his season could be so good that he would leave. Um, Niles Morgan, you just wonder, like, the position. Middle linebackers don't usually go that high, but yeah. certainly he's athletic enough. Right. I mean, he looks like a future pro. Um, Equinemius St. Brown will be a junior. Who knows? I yeah. mean, it's... You know, if he puts up another thousand yard season and you know, even builds on it and does some, you know, Will Fuller type things, then maybe that too. But you know, nobody really at running back, you know, Josh Adams is he gonna have a great year? Probably. Um, could he go pro? Maybe. Um you know, it's it's just the future. Though. Worth guys considering that, guys that yeah, are I don't roster, know. I don't you know. know I didn't. I didn't take the question as going into next, next year. That's year. why I started with Morgan. I but I did make a list of the guys. I mean, I think St. Brown's on the list. I mean, for I think sure, Josh though. Adams. Josh Adams is probably not going to leave after his junior year. But I think after his senior year, I mean, he has size. He has breakaway speed, which we we've, we've seen in the past when he's healthy. He's got to be healthy. Cause yeah, that's what that's I think. Hard. If he is a really healthy year and he puts up thirteen hundred yards and fifteen touchdowns, then you'd have to be like, well. Yeah, every running back. Do I need to do that again for another year? Yeah, especially running backs. He's have a shelf life that's pretty short. He's a kid with a head on his shoulders. He'll come back get his degree. If you have that year and you're Josh Adams, you have to go make some money before your body breaks down. Yeah, it's like on the defensive line. There's nobody um, of note there that could could leave. That's a good note. Yeah, for a team. Yeah, it's (laughs) for Niles. You got Niles Morgan. The secondary. I mean, everyone played who was a real significant contributor, was a true freshman last year. They can't yeah. go anywhere. Um, but there's, I, I think you, you at least have to look at Adam St. Brown, Jones, and be like, that's worth watching. I wrote down Alizé Jones right away. I wasn't thinking, yeah. I wasn't thinking next year. I just think oh, okay. a, a future pro, Alizé Jones, comes to yeah, mind and right I think, away. I, I, think Alex, I, I don't think that Alex Bars had the kind of year that he would had hoped for last year, but he has two years of eligibility left. He has size. Uh, probably definitely a guard on the next level you know hopefully maybe a guard on this level Mm -hmm. before he leaves Um, that's a that is a that's a big body that's a big wide body with height smart kid Uh, you know I think once he settles in a little bit in 2017 we're going to see a better version what about the quarterback the quarterback Brandon Wimbush see him play right but I mean they're pro potentials, what they're looking for. These guys, we're looking to dig deep here. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to see them play before. Uh, well, you know, and then he can I, be again, gone in a year like Deshaun Kaiser. I really know him, man. He's gone. Yeah, long term, I guess two years. I mean, hell, Tyler Newsom and and yeah. Justin Yoon are probably two of their better prospects in the next two years. You know what's great is when you mention a punter and a kicker and Pete says there's no defensive lineman. I think that's a boat's well. Yeah, it's a reality. All right, last question. Factor 37, besides the obvious, not going 4-8 and eight or hiring coaches who don't recruit, what are the lessons the coaching staff should learn from this recruiting cycle? Is it taking more than you need at a given position? Is it trusting their eyes more from Irish Invasion? Going after more kids recruited from other schools sooner. Tim, you want to start that? I mean, I like the wider net. 
I think it's going after, which means in this case, going after kids from other schools sooner. Um, but it, it, it's tough because you have to assume you're, you're assuming decommitments when you're doing that, right? I mean, you're, you shouldn't have had five decommitments. This is this is a one-off for me. What's happened this year? I think oh, five and six, it's gonna happen again. But five and seven, it's gonna happen again. But you wouldn't have thought. I think as Tim said to his point a couple months ago, he said that recruiting class isn't gonna break down. We were thinking they'd go six and six or seven and five, right? And then you're not losing all five of these guys mm-hmm. if that happens. This was calamity. We didn't, we didn't say that. We didn't say that when they were four and eight. We said it when they were two and four, right? And we thought you can go six just and six. Maybe offer, you can just, just to offer a little disclaimer for <laughs> yeah. a freezing cold take of mine. Classes <laughs> <laughs> don't fall apart in Notre Dame. I just I don't think it's it's not it's not something's going to continue to happen. Um, I don't know if it's trusting your eyes from Irish Invasion. I think that would be too small of a sample size. I think they do a good job of trusting yeah. their eyes from Irish Invasion. Um, you know, whether it be Jalen Elliott and Kevin Stefferson and Chase Claypool uh, from a couple years ago, just off the top of my head, um, to last year, you know, there were a handful of guys that just showed up. You know, maybe they don't all work out. But um, I, I, I do think that they have a, a pretty good evaluation. Could they have offered... Could he pay from Irish Invasion who committed to Michigan? Yep. And they offered Matt Kippenhammer, but they just they felt that they they liked Jordan Pouncey more. So just go with that. I mean, I think they did trust their eyes. They valued one guy as better than another guy, and that's okay. I think if there was a lesson to be learned, like macro that transcends four and eight or ten and three, it's always sign one and a half more defensive linemen than you expect. Yeah. Uh, and then just hope in the end that maybe you end up with two more than you wanted. Maybe end up with one more, but you're definitely not going to end up with one less. Can you let, let me ask you a question? Can you can you put more offers out there with disclaimers attached to some of those offers? Like, you know um, what I'm saying? No, I mean you could. I don't think the utility. That's there's. I don't think there's much utility to that. What you do is you keep communicating with me, like you are our next offer. If okay, and I think well, kids, that's what that basically kids, is what I'm yeah, saying. I think kids appreciate that. Um, I also think that the Going after more kids recruited to other schools sooner, there's not a huge upside in that because I can tell you Notre Dame's perspective on that from inside the Goog is when a kid is committed somewhere else, you're only recruiting against one other school. They like that. They think that's a positive opposed to you having to pick off five schools. So to come late on Hippenhammer at Penn State or Deion Jackson at Duke or Jafar Armstrong at Missouri, I don't think that they feel like that's a negative for them. Um, especially with a new staff. And I talked to Jafar Armstrong about this because I said, you know, some, some prospects take the late offer as like kind of an insult. Like, well, why didn't you like me earlier? And he's like, I could take it that way, but it's a completely new staff. So what, like, what am I going to, am I going to be yeah, upset that ship a, long? That's, another, that's, that's an one, awfully so. mature yeah, attitude, yeah. which well, I'm not yeah. sure that a, that a lot of not highly recruited, does. you know, I mean, players are put on such a pedestal mm-hmm. now. With all star games and everything that's, I, I'm not going to go over the whole list. Everything that's out there, I'm not sure that everybody has that no, mature of an not attitude. A, not everyone does, but if if they and if they don't, then that's not a guy you're going to get. That's true. But I think ultimately, in the end, um, if a guy is willing to look around, he's not going to be insulted. Like, well, I'm committed to Arizona. Why didn't you offer me eight months ago? Um, and if he is insulted, then you got to move on to the next one. Yeah. But but I don't think putting out a conditional offer earlier would have made that much of a difference. In I do cases. have one more question, and it comes from West Coast Zebra, and that is, 
What is Brian Kelly's philosophy on graduate transfers? We've only taken two with limited success, but other schools utilize this rule to their significant advantage. I mean, he's always open to it. I remember talking to him on signing day last year that said that they were looking at, I think it was sort of a, a safety receiver combination, some kind of skilled athlete they were looking to take one in. They're hard to find, um, and I think for the most part, Cody Riggs will be the exception. Avery Sebastian will be the rule he, across college he, football. Yeah, fifth year, these grad transfers come in. We spend so much time talking about like, the next Russell Wilson. That for the most part, they're the next Avery Sebastian, where they come in and they're a depth guy for you. Right. Um, and that's that's all right. But you know, in the same ways that Notre Dame isn't taking JUCO guys, I think taking grad transfers is right. similar but it not is. the same. Uh, you're fine. You're looking for an academic profile. That's that's kind of hard to and find. And certainly with Cody Riggs, they had an in with former Notre Dame player Bobby Brown, and they recruited him in the beginning, which I think was right. real important because right. he. I mean, I believe he took an official visit. And he should have gone to Notre Dame in the beginning anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he yeah, was no, perfect. That, oh, he was no, he perfect. I mean, and he, I mean, he legitimately came to Notre yeah. Dame for one year to to maximize his yes. academic opportunity. Yeah. It's a, I mean, Sebastian ultimately fell in the same boat because he was here for two yeah. years and, you know, did the NBA thing. But it's just, it's they're hard to find. And I think for the most part, Notre Dame would rather develop a four-year four year guy than take a one-year guy. Who's the best, looking at the other way, who's the best fifth-year guy they lost? I mean, Golson is the one, but everybody else is a backup. Notre Dame didn't need Andrew Hendricks. It didn't need Dane Christ. It doesn't need offensive linemen. But it loses. Hegarty played. Hegarty played, and he would have not started at Notre Dame. Yeah, he would have but, been Notre Dame's sixth guy, but right. he was one of Oregon's first guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't kill him. They wanted him back. They wanted him back, but it, yeah. it didn't destroy them. So Hegarty and Golson are the two best by far, unless we're missing. Anybody. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like because the other ones dropped down a level because, I mean, yeah. Hendricks played, but it was at Miami, Ohio. Right, yeah. Chris played, but it was at Kansas. Yeah. Um you know, there haven't been a lot of instances where they've gone to, like, a Power 5 team and played it. But I think you see that a lot of places. I mean, you had, what, Austin Appleby mm-hmm. um, at Florida, and then Danny Etling at LSU from Purdue. But, like, those weren't great Did you really get a yes. yeah. <laughs> uh for them. Um, you know, and Florida's in a situation now, they're still talking to Malik Zaire about coming down there, but they have a problem that they've taken grad transfers who didn't graduate. So now they're sort of on probation for grad transfers, and they have to get a waiver if they want to take Malik Zaire. So you could, if you're just going to take a kid for football only, and then they don't go to class or like don't come away with any sort of academic progress, then you're putting yourself in a bad spot. And Notre Dame is in a position to like, well, we're just going to make up these grad transfer classes for you. Yeah. So it's yeah, tough. they need to find a DN that can like get, I don't know, get eight to ten sacks this year. <laughs> just go grab one. Yeah, I, you know, go. it's like I kind of wondered because Wake Forest has a guy who's coming back right. for his fifth year who had eight to ten sacks. That's right. And he was like, I wonder. If That's they, right. I wonder if they put a that would be the one. There. That would be the one unique situation opportunity. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, what breaking news is going to hit <laughs> yeah. us as soon as we <laughs> wrap it up? Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, Delvon Alexander will be officially hired at the end of this podcast, and then Matt Bayless will be uh, officially hired as the strength coach sometime in the next couple days. Uh, maybe there will be some roster roster movement too, an unexpected defection uh, or two with you know winter workouts starting up. So. I'm sure there will still be plenty more things to talk about on our next podcast that happen in the next two hours. Just pause five seconds and check Twitter, like, yes. like, like last week. That was <laughs> the joy of on-demand radio, guys. Um, so until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider.